Okay, come. Yes, that's a good point to have the question. Yeah. Does that mean that the divine doesn't believe in in karma in terms of uh, reward slash punishment, or it's just a different definition of karma? And if if it is in terms of reward slash punishment, I feel like a lot of people when something bad is happening. Um, they believe that they this is happening for some reason, and in that moment you can call the divine. And you said that if you accept equanimity, um, that means that whatever outcome it is, you accept it. Okay. But how do you? Yes. So first we'll come to you know step by step. Yes. So what is karma? What is bad? Let's start from there. What would you call as bad? When we say that you know bad things happen, what is bad? Is death bad? Let's take an extreme example. Is it bad? Really speaking, very impartially look at it. Don't look at it from a personal. Is death bad? Why it is not bad? You have to give reasons. Why it is not bad? Because it's the beginning of another life. You take the law. So death is not bad. It is our reaction to death which makes it appear bad. Why? Because I'm attached to it. It is my attachment that makes it appear as a disaster. But in itself, it's a complete organ transplant done free of cost. What if somebody deep within wanted a kind of life but could not lead it, and leaves the body, and comes back? Look at from the wisdom point of view. Isn't that much better? Okay. Then what else is bad? I had a lot of money, and it suddenly one day it was swindled. Is it bad? Again, there is that story of this empress. Someone broke a you know nice mirror that she was using every day. It was a very rare kind of mirror. Those days, made in China when it was good mirror, huh? Not like today made in China. <laughs> so it broke because well the the slave girl broke it. So she was very afraid that this queen is going to punish me. He goes to the queen and says, "Rani, shishae chin shikast. The wonderful mirror from China it is broken." So the empress says, "Khub shud, very good. Samane khud bini shikast. That which used to flatter my ego every day, God has broken it. It's the way you look at it. So first of all, this idea of this what is called in yoga duality." Good and bad, pleasure and pain are born of an ignorant conception of life. They are given to us. They have their purpose in ignorance, but they are born of ignorance. Divine is not interested in giving pain and pleasure because he is in state of unity. But in duality, which is born out of ego, ego is an angle of looking at life. So they are in preferences. Preferences bring in attachments. Attachment brings in pleasure and pain when things happen according to your preferences. So obviously the wisdom doesn't operate like that, but that's my understanding. That why? And based on my understanding, I throw upon the divine human conceptions. Why would he give me pain? Well, because he is a fair guy, just guy. So I must have done some bad deed. Just imagine, for the divine, we are not other than him. If your hand, I mean, if somebody's finger has an abscess, you give a little nick to take out the pus. Are you doing bad or punishing the finger because it touched something and hence got an abscess, 
or you are relieving the finger. So from the divine perspective, we are not other. See, this is the conception of divine which didn't exist in Indian thought. Let me put in, this is not Indian conception of the divine. And the mother says, Shurabindu also had to struggle against it. She had to struggle against it because we place divine as somebody out there who is busy fellow and there is some Mr. Chetrugupta and his company who are busy with all his computers, supercomputer, you know, all the time noting everything. Third thing, what really is action karma? Is it the deed or the motive? Which is more important? Motive. Where do motives come from? Motives arise from the state of consciousness in which we are in. So, if you look at it like this, karma is a machinery for evolution and progress. When I do things, when I am in a state of consciousness where I am pretty lower down the scale and I do something, now I have a certain motive which is natural to that state of consciousness. That motive leads to certain consequences because I have acted in ignorance. I put my finger in fire because I didn't know. So, my finger burns. Is it a punishment or is it a learning? It's a learning. Now, why this learning is there? Is it so that I stop putting my finger in the fire? No, because what have I learned? It's not that fire burns, but fire has the property to burn. See, learning itself is very different. Fire burns, stay away. But fire has the property to burn. So next step will be what? If it can burn, instead of my finger, how about burning something which is, by burning, get purified? There is a deep meaning behind it. I'll just come to that. So it's the same energy which is harming you can if conserved, it can help you. That's what in yoga is called as purification. The same thing which is burning carries within its, itself the capacity of purifying. Okay. So but first step is when it burns. Next step is you understand it as a property to burn. For example, I'll ask a question. Is passion good or is it bad? Is desire good or is it bad? At a certain stage of evolution, desire comes naturally. Passions, people are driven by passion. After some time they discover, now imagine a person who has discovered, he is very passionate and discovered that this passion, if it's not controlled and directed, it can burn my own house. And this passion, one begins to turn towards something much more, passion for the divine, passion for the divine work upon earth. Compare this with somebody who has no passion, which is a better state. Passion. So it's a step. Without that, you are a clod. So this is how evolution takes place. In the beginning, that energy is given, we play with it. Now that energy we transmit. It's not that we do karma, incidentally. There is only one karma, one power which operates. This is the fundamental principle. But when it enters into the channel, it gets distorted. The divine energy comes. Let's put it now step by step. Divine energy enters into me. And I feel, ah, very nice. I am the doer. It's okay, play this game. You are the doer. <laughs> so I do things to satisfy my own selfish ends. Divine energy says, okay, fine. So what it does next, next level is, I begin to discover that, well, this is not what I want. So you begin to expand, grow, widen. Till a point comes when you discover, oh my God, if I were to let this energy do what it has come to do, to fulfill itself in me through her own means and processes, then I experience the maximum possibility 
that the divine will and the divine energy carries within itself. Otherwise, I have directed it towards small little petty ends. That's why we are knotted people, the seven knots, the chakras. Otherwise, all the time there is only one power, which is infinite power, infinite consciousness. Why is it not given? Because we are not ready to handle it. But a time comes when we become ready through this schooling process. And then we discover that, no, this is not, I am not here to just ask, you know, like a beggar for a small little pleasure and pain, little joys. Then this infinite energy begins to pour into the human vessel. And then we discover, oh my God, this fire which was burning, what I thought divine is punishing me? No, this fire which was burning is actually purifying me. So the perspective changes. Alright, so second part, that last bit of your question which is implied within it, that we begin to become aware that you know there is a punishment because something was done in my life. Tell me one thing honestly, in this world there have been all kinds of theories. One is our karma theory, you are punished. There are religions in which there is the theory that if you do an action, God will on the last day, you are going to get terribly punished. Tell me, whoever has ever stopped doing things because of the fear of punishment? Real speaking, people don't do things because something within them tells them and that is the true growth. To not do something because you will be punished, is that a better state or because you have grown to a point where you don't want to do it? Because it is something not to be done, which is a higher state. So reward and punishment is at a very early level of consciousness, perhaps human beings are not ready to learn and grow, so be afraid of God. Okay? But as we grow, we discover His only love. And we need to, you know, do things not because we are afraid. Isn't it? Imagine that in a society, people pay, uh, follow all the rules because they are afraid of being punished. And a society where they very naturally do it because it's the right thing to be done, which is a higher and better state. Isn't it? The answer is very obvious. So there is a stage of development when this idea that there is karma, punishment, reward is, you know, necessary for a certain kind of humanity. How much it changes, it's a different thing altogether. Human beings find their ways to pluck pleasure out of the sap of sin. Everybody knows it. They will find their ways. They will justify. They will say, no, no, it doesn't happen. It's not true. Hundred ways. And yet that is a stage of our very early stage of schooling. It is not the highest truth. Even if such a thing were to exist, if at all, it won't be the highest truth. So God neither punishes nor forgives. Whom will he forgive? He is the only doer. So karma is what? There is only one power which is flowing into millions and billions and trillions of channels. It is that power which makes the Jupiter spinning through heaven. It is that power which fashions a curl. It is that power which smiles. It is that power which laughs. That power which slays. That power which endures. Only one power. There is no two powers. But each one has the choice to be made how one uses that power as it enters into it. And that choice needs discernment and knowledge. First one has to grow into knowledge. That's why. And then you handle. When you don't grow into knowledge, then that power overrides you. And when we grow into knowledge, then there is the master. So in the beginning, 
that power overrides us. So when we have not grown into this true knowledge, not book knowledge, the soul is very like a chinna baby, small little baby. So nature drives it. Wherever you know nature takes you, the soul is going. But then the soul, where is she taking us? To grow in terms of who we really are. When we have grown, then nature says, you are my Lord, I was preparing you to reach this point. Now you are my master. And in this story of the soul and nature, a lot of hints. You know, when in a relationship, if both people try to affirm and assert themselves, how long is it going to last? Anybody's guess. Now, when one person gives oneself, starts by that process. Unless the other person is a completely, you know, <laughs> gone case. After some time, the person begins to give. So the giver becomes later on the master. Very naturally, very spontaneously. That's the way of love. And it's so true in life in general. So when we act under the impulsion of a narrow state of consciousness, inbuilt within it is suffering. Not because somebody is punishing me and it's not after life. God doesn't believe in a post-mortem salvation. It's instantaneous. Do something which is very selfish. You see how the fa- even the face twists. You can see it from the face and see it twisted. Something inside twists, turns. You have the wealth but you have lost the joy. Okay. Now wealth, nothing wrong with wealth. I am just giving an example. Whereas there is the other state where you are you have acted in a state of wideness and generosity. Mother gives this beautiful example. It's from her own life. She went to watch a, a you know, opera in a theatre. And she was sitting in front and there is another person sitting behind. And she noticed that this person is striving because he is you know, unable to see. So she just gently slipped into the chair like this. So that he could see. She says, now... Sh- she is not, she's not able to see it that well. But she experienced the great joy in her own being. Because you have extended your consciousness. And this is an experiment we all can try. So, reward punishment is not... I mean, it's a theory as good as anybody else. But it is not even philosophically sustainable. Imagine a God who is busy punishing and rewarding. In human beings, which is a greater quality? Punishing and rewarding or compassion and understanding? Which is a greater quality? If human beings believe that there is a greater quality, imagine God being inferior to human beings who is judging you. So you may ask one question. Why did Krishna allow all these Kauravas to die? Because that is compassion. You know how? How is Rama's action compassion when Ravana is killed? There is a very interesting little narrative I was, you know, how the divine conceives. We misread the scriptures and bring our own meaning into it. So when Rama is asked by Kaushalya Mata, So, you killed Ravana? You know, what does he say? He says, Mahapandit, 
महाबलशाली महाशिव भक्त शिव तांडव स्रोत का रचयिता वेदों का ज्ञाता रावण अपने ही अहंकार से मर गया उसके अहंकार ने उसको मार डाला ना इट वॉज रामाज ग्रेस दैट ही डेंट लेट रावणा कंटिन्यू इवन मोर फर्दर डैमेज टू इज ओन बॉडी सी वेन पीपल एक्ट समाइम सो दैट्स वाई वेन श्री कृष्णा लेट्स कंस बी किल्ड किल्स कंस नॉट लेट्स कंस बी किल्ड एंड लेट्स अर्जुना किल अ होस्ट ऑफ पीपल इन द आर्मी वट वॉज ही डूइंग इट वॉज इज ग्रेस एंड कंपैशन फ्रीइंग दैम फ्रॉम दिस काउड्स सो वेन Uh, you know and that's very interesting mahabharata you see it why does uh, krishna go and tell karna to switch over sides he doesn't say in so many words but he says you are the eldest pandava if you come you'll become the king so people you know say ah he was playing diplomacy he was trying to change but look at karna he stood his ground isn't it but look at it from shri krishna's point of view he knows that karna is a fallen angel in his origin he is a guy capable of genuine goodness he is trying to save him from the scourge of ignominy that is going to follow him the same thing bhishma being a karmi yogi tries to save karna he was not you know you will not fight you think bhishma didn't know that when krishna is on the other side and arjuna there is going to be the victory he was trying to they were all trying to protect this fellow but he was driven by a misguided idea of virtue hence he had to meet an end why in this way very simply imagine anyways karna had to die <laughs> imagine dying in a straight fight with arjuna he said okay i'll give you at least this much honor that you didn't die in a straight fight you were dying when you were on the ground so at least people will say ha ha acha tha so when we look at the actions of the divine even when he is when we you know in a in a action like that he is actually liberating us it's out of compassion that he is acting in all his actions there is compassion and love i'll finish this with a small little story you, have, you know there is a movie um chitralekha i don't know whether you have seen it or not uh, in chitralekha there is the story of a सन्यासी एंड ए कर्मयोगी कर्मयोगी इज प्रिंस एंड दे इज दिस कोटिसन होम द प्रिंस लवस बट द कोटिसन फॉल्स इन लव विद सन्यासी नॉट लव दैट वे लव लव वाला लव बट गुरु वाला लव ब्यूटिफुल लव बट दिस सन्यासी हुज यू नो ट्राई टू दिस इज द प्रॉब्लम विद सन्यासी वेरी डेंजरस पीपल आई मस्ट से बिकॉज ऑल द इम्पल्स दे आर हार्बरिंग इन साइड दे सप्रेस्ड I'm talking of even the genuine sannyasis because they, have, you know, and when they interact with the world, they don't know. Mother has also spoken about them. They are de- not authentic sannyasis. Swami Vivekananda is an exception, but he is a strange sannyasi. He can go in anybody's house and he is a true sannyasi in the real sense of the word. But then he starts, he falls in love with her as a man to a woman, and then he realizes that he has fallen in his yoga, and he wants to commit suicide. so as he is going towards the river ganges a very beautiful ending suddenly a cobra comes and bites him and he dies of that but before death he says lord shiva you are so compassionate you prevented me from the double ignominy of now committing suicide so you came and freed me from another sin which i was going to commit <laughs> <laughs> 
So, even the seeming punishments in the mother Shirobinda says about Maheshwari, even her rejections are a postponement, even her punishments are a grace. Because there is the balance of justice which is called Nyaya. Very often people ask, you know, that blind forgiveness. So, Indian thought there is not like blind forgiveness. Forgiveness is a virtue, but not blind forgiveness. Why? Because Nyaya is also there. Supposing somebody does some harm to me personally, okay, individually I can forgive him. But supposing this is a person with a tendency, supposing a snake, there is a story told about a uh, sadhu and you know, he is bit by a, uh, whatever that, bichu. And he wants to rescue it again. Again he is bit by the scorpion, he wants to, the sadhu says, scorpion has its own nature to bite me. But I have the nature of the sadhu to rescue him. Now this is half the truth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the sadhu has forgotten that you are saving a scorpion which can bite five people and they may be killed. So sometimes it is good to let the scorpion go through his own fate. You understand that when the divine vision acts, it acts with compassion. Even killing is a grace. I'm, I mean, one must understand the widest picture. So, in the divine vision, all is compassion and grace. For us, we may look at it from a limited perspective and think it is reward and punishment. But everything that the divine acts is always invariably driven by compassion and love. Sometimes to strengthen us, to steal us, he may make us go through the furnace. We may think it is punishment, no? People used to say this in ashram when you go, you say, I want to serve your mother. I'm very happy. I have come to serve you. You are put in the furnace or in the washing machine. Mother, where am I? I am feeling so disoriented. This fabric is getting torn. Yes, yes, yes. First stage. And you are inside the washing machine. You cannot even push the stop button from inside. So, all so-called punishment is nothing but a purificatory ritual. Do it consciously, you don't have to go through this process. Don't do it, nature will do it for you, but that's a little more painful process. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, can you explain us, like, that, uh, how to look like a Sakshi? How to look like a? Sakshi. Sakshi, yes. Because there is a Sakshi inside us, the divine is a Sakshi observer. So, uh, but when we look the world, we get attached to it. Yes, so basically it is that only that when we look at first thing we must realize the step towards being a Sakshi, witness. The first thing we need to realize is that appearances are not reality. That's why they are appearances. And if we start believing appearances to be real that we will never arrive at true knowledge. So, when we wait, many, many times when you look at things the way they unfold, wait for the pura picture to be over. So, that's why to immediately rush, you see, when we believe our surface consciousness is all, then we get tied and we are, you know, uh, thrown by all kinds of forces. So, when we learn to step back, the way to practice it is, let the mind, you see, divine as the Sarvasakshi is a, um, ultimate, but first step is, there is a part of the mind which is uh, buddhi. Draw your consciousness in the buddhi and look at whatever is happening. See how important it really is. 
how much it is really going to impact me in terms of my higher goals, deeper goals. So then you see that 99% of the things have really very little importance. And this buddhi itself will tell us that it's not worth getting into, you know. For instance, one of the things I'll tell you. Winning over somebody in debate. Is it important? Absolutely. So, <laughs> it's not about who is right or who is wrong. It's about a waste of energy. So, unless it's so important that, you know, based on that, your fate and the fate of the nations depend. You have your own conviction, but you don't have to get into an argument. It's not needed at all. It's not going to... Nobody ever gets converted by an argument. Let me tell you this very frankly. Even husbands and wives cannot convert each other. You can't even convert a child by arguing. So, it's a waste thing. So, you realize that, you know, instead of losing yourself in that discussion, step back. Similarly, food. Oh, it's so horrible. It's okay. Odd day. You are going on the road. You didn't, you know, as that story goes, you had not jumped the red light. I mean, and you were fined. Now, so many times you jumped and you were not fined. So, <laughs> it's okay. Life, I mean, these are not things of real importance. We give, you see, mankind suffers from this disease. One is to give too much importance to things that have little or no importance. And the second is not giving importance to things which are of true eternal importance. So, we have to reset our value system. And when we do that initially by the help of buddhi, after some time it, it will get into the system. So, automatically we won't react to every passing appearance. Then yes, we can begin to deeper separate the purusha from prakriti, the entire field of nature one learns to separate. First the buddhi, that's why the Gita gives this process very beautifully. The mind, the senses drawn into the mind, the mind into the buddhi, the buddhi into the self, into the greater self. That's how it has to be done. So first is the buddhi and then it draws into the greater self by inner concentration, inwardness. Even while we are driving, walking, conversing, we concentrate on the inner self, on the divine presence inside. Then automatically the separation will come. After, initially it will be difficult but after some time we will ta start taking rasa in that. After you have tasted Rajbhog, who will want to eat the other mitai? Yes, children? Oh, um, I had a question. You, uh, you said that there is like an innate will to be happy as a child. So sometimes when you're growing, you have a bunch of different things that take away from that happiness. Or like things that sort of block you from feeling that. So what happens as a child? So why... Sorry, um, but like, how do you make it less of like an oscillating feeling where sometimes you're... Yes. So first we must understand the reason. So the reason is when we are a child, the mind has not stepped in. Okay? What does the mind do? It brings concept. Happiness means this. It starts defining. God means this. This is what is called in the Bible as the fruit of knowledge. You taste the apple. Before Adam and Eve had tasted the apple or whoever tasted it first, that's not relevant. They were happy guys. Okay? They tasted and so they fell from the joy of paradise. But then this is a stage through which one must pass. So when one is a child, one is not 
all these mental conceptions, ideas about life, what it should be, what it should not be, are not there. That's why you see in, in animal world where the mind does not come in. Even in the tribals, you see, they are happy. You know, there is a whole tribe, Jarawa tribe in Andamans. Um, they live still like the... Nobody can, you know, go and even interview them because they will shoot arrows and you are a dead person. They don't like contact with the outer world. They live the way they are. No TV, nothing. The mind has not come and told them, you know, you have missed a favorite program. Okay. So this is one stage in which people live. Tarzan. Okay. Till Tarzan walked into New York City. Okay. So this is one state. But obviously that is an unconscious state in which you are naturally happy. You have to arrive at conscious delight. So what is that instrument in us which begins to make us conscious is the mind. You see the paradox. So the same mind which will take you step by step towards that consciousness where you are consciously in delight starts by telling you, look here, become conscious. So it becomes, then the concepts come in. So as the child grows up, human child, the mind starts playing. And when the star, mind starts playing, it starts also fooling. Fooling around and fooling us. So, when a child till 10 years of age, is the innocent, wonderful, chubbly, bubbly baby. 10 to 20, I know it all. What do you people know? Mama, I don't understand anything about anything. And then all of us go through it. Nothing unusual. At 20, 21, 22, he begins to question if he is destined to grow, <laughs> evolve beyond this initial stage. He begins to question. By the time he is 30, then he looks back. He has developed into a kind of adult. And then he has a much more balanced, saner view of things. This is a process. But in yoga, you go much beyond it. The entire mental apparatus, you realize that it cannot know. Look at the fallacy. Tell me one thing. Normally we believe with the mind we can know things, isn't it? That's ingrained within us. All the scientists say this. And they have all the forces they can command apparently. Can we know what is going to happen the next moment with certainty? That's the limit of our knowledge. It's like puncturing the bubble of knowledge. People make predictions, people do all kinds of things, there are big debates. But we don't even know the next step in front. Of course, we live with this belief that all is good, okay, we'll meet tomorrow, that's okay. But if somebody asks, are you sure? See, that is the limit of mental knowledge. And yet it is needed at a stage of evolution. But when you realize that the entire mental apparatus and mechanism cannot really give me Ultimate knowledge, the true knowledge, the comprehensive knowledge. I am not just speaking about God knowledge, but knowledge about everything in this universe. Then I begin to transcend the mind. That's when true knowledge begins. You quieten the mind. You again enter into the state of different spontaneity. Not the animal spontaneity, but spontaneity of the gods. So this is the stage of animal spontaneity, instincts where you are happy. Then there is the stage when you are going through happiness and sorrow because all these concepts have come in. Long, painful process. Then you are spontaneously in delight because intuitively you know the why, the wherefore of whatever is happening in life. Okay, So that's the answer to that.
Yeah, just, just with. Uh, I think you answered this previously in part, but before you were talking about how if you follow divine will, then you'll be affirmed about the path of decisions that you're making. But how do you know if you are following that path or not? And you talk about knowledge. You don't know. Let's start with this truth that we don't know. So what do we do? I don't know whether I am doing something which is the divine will or not. I don't know whether I am sitting here. It may even, even in your best of actions. Okay? I don't know whether I am sitting here and talking about is it divine or not that I don't know. But I am just saying, I may not know that whether the divine wants me to speak about himself or not. Apparently it looks very good, no? It's a good job. But how do you know that's what is the divine will? Well, one may not know. Let's put it like that. There are ways of knowing it. But let's say start with that, that one doesn't know. So what do I do then? Should I not act till I finally become aware of divine will? Now that's where the catch lies that through action I'll become aware. Through action I'll grow in consciousness. So do I wait for the entire learning process? No, there is a simpler way. So I feel the impulsion or I must be careful that I am not acting under a selfish drive. This much one should at least be aware. At least apparently it should not be a selfish egoistic motive. That much one can be aware, isn't it? And then I offer it to the divine. I am going to speak. Okay. I don't know whether I am going to speak foolish, foolishly wise or wisely foolish. But let Whatever I speak, let it be you who speaks through me. And even if I don't speak what I should speak, let at least people understand what you want them to understand. Now, when you offer your actions to the divine, then what will happen? He, there is a bond which is there. Bond is always there from the side of the divine. But it should be forced from our side. When we have done that, then even if the action is not in conformity to the divine will, that's where the question comes. The divine will do two things. One is use that action, however imperfect it is, for the greater good. And second, because now you have called in the action of the divine will, divine will is not uh, devoid of wisdom. It is wisdom. It will make us aware through the action that what the divine wants of us. But if we don't act, we will not become aware at all. So that's why do the action in your highest Try not to be selfish as best as one can. Try not to be driven by this urge that mera kya fayda hoga. Okay? Try not to be driven by instant gratification. These are few things one has to. And then after having done that, whatever is the action that one is going to do, offer it to the divine will and say that you be with me, you take care of all the rest. And then you will see that gradually one grows into consciousness, one grows into wisdom. It's a process. It's not like every time there is a bulb which, oh, this is the divine will. No. One grows into that awareness where the divine will will become self-evident. So that's the process. From ignorance towards knowledge. Okay. So program. In another question, like, um, how do you think that dharma plays the role? Like, uh, Krishna said, this is Pandava. Okay, this is, I'm on dharma. Yeah. So that is the about what dharma is. Dharma is the, in a broadest definition of dharma, is that which helps in the unfolding of the divine will. And dharma is also that which leads me towards the divine. That is dharma, the broadest definition. 
बट इफ यू ट्राई टू फिक्स धर्मा इन टू मेंटल रूल्स एंड डॉगमा इट फेल्स सो मेरा आस्ट तुलसीदास माई इन लॉज आर वॉन्टिंग मी टू ईट मीट एंड बिकम ए शाक्त दे आर वर्शिपर्स ऑफ शक्ति क्षत्रियाज बट आई लव कृष्णा वाट शुड आई डू यू सी कॉन्ट्ररी धर्मा बोथ आर राइट टू शी इज गॉन वेडेड टू अ हाउस ऑफ अर ओन चॉइस शी सेड येस वॉट एवर इट बी सो टू टेक केयर ऑफ हजबैंड एंड इट्स अ काइंड ऑफ धर्मा दे इज अनदर धर्मा वेयर शी फील्स ड्रॉन टूवर्ड्स कृष्णा एंड वेरी नेचुरली शी कैनॉट डू दीज थिंग्स शी डजन फील लाइक ईटिंग मीट वॉट शुड शी डू तुलसीदास गिव्स अ वेरी ब्यूटिफुल रिप्लाई इन ए लेटर एंड देर ई सेज बली गुरु त्यजो विभीषण बंधु भरत महतारी गिव्स थ्री एग्जाम्पल्स फ्रॉम रामायणा इफ यू मेक धर्मा इज ए सेट ऑफ मॉरल रूल्स देन विभीषण वॉज विधर्मी बली वॉज विधर्मी भरत वॉज ए विधर्मी Rama when he kills Bali is vidharmi if you try to put dharma into a set of rules but killing of bali was important necessary why because you had to open the line of monkey evolution towards humanity bali's logic is might is right sugriv is duplicate but he is more inclined towards humanized nature so rama must kill wali this action of rama shows about dharma it's one of the best understanding of dharma comes when wali asks this question to rama samdarshi tab naam kahawa you are known to be samdarshi kaho nath mam kahe ko mara mujhe kyu maar diya aapne maine aapka kuch nahi kiya tha if it was a question of tracking ravana you should have told me i would have even gone and caught him Why have you killed me? So then he starts explaining what is dharma. It's sukshma rup. Outwardly, if you see the deed of Rama, it is adharma. How can you kill him? He doesn't even know. He has no enmity with you. But now look at it from Rama's perspective. Rama was not just looking for Sita. Rama was there to establish the reign of a mentalized, illumined mind. Human being should act under a deeper, higher impulsion. he is there to fulfill the raj dharma of that time he was there as a representative of bharat he doesn't once even call himself prince he says i am doing it on behalf of the king so he has seen that wali had done a grave injustice and sugriv has come and you know made a bond of friendship so from both point of view he must be with sugriv but he can't face wali face to face not that he cannot face wali but wali has a boon that how the energy of the other person he will suck away if you fight so wali you cannot beat him in in any frontal fight but look at the beauty of that uh, whole episode yet in a battle it there should be fair and just war do it it's not just that okay i have hidden behind there must be some fairness you can't fight wali face to face nobody can fight because any human being comes he has this boon that he will suck away half the energy so justice demands that there should be some kind of an equal fight fair fight as it is called so what does rama do have you imagine why he shoots an arrow from seven trees 
and not just hidden behind and shooting like this through the seven trees it's a very beautiful episode narrated the 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 arrow pierces the seven trees and then hits wali and his kill you know what is the point he was trying to make with the prowess of my strength i could kill you he could have gone in front and just shot an arrow but where is that display that it's an equal fight let me see he is hiding behind not hiding from behind the seven trees so the arrow is thrust with such a force that it pierces the trees and hits bali and he is killed so there is a fairness in that that he brings he is not just hiding somewhere and shoots uh, suddenly an arrow and poor fellow cannot see and he dies so dharma why does he kill because it helps in the unfolding it's the future of the vanara which is a type of primitive humanity depends upon which line the vanara will take if it takes the line of wali the vanara may gra- gravitate towards the rakshasa and the asura if it takes the line of sugriva i mean leaving aside the deeper symbol of vanara and the nar rama it takes the line of a more humanized humanity so dharma is not a set of do's and don'ts and rights and wrong as is taught in the moral science lessons putting a line here this is good this is bad this is not there in indian thought dharma is about individually and collectively the unfolding of the divine law in creation so that's why shri krishna tells arjuna why you should act he takes away all the individual motives first he tells you are a kshatriya you it's your swadharma to fight you may fall it's okay if you win you have the rajyam samradham but very soon he starts moving further and further ultimately he takes away all the planks supports no desire offer your actions so you know arjuna says you first teach me about knowledge now you are saying act <laughs> you have taken away there is no motive to act why should i act then he gives a very beautiful term he says lok sangraharth to carry the march of humanity forward is not about you any more it was never about you it was about what helps humanity grow and progress so you must fight in this fight maybe your near and dear ones will be killed see this gita is the perfect example whom is he called upon to kill should you kill your guru no your grandsire no that's what arjuna says they are the people for whom one wins a war and you are asking me to kill them so dharma is not about an action but the deeper motive see this is the difference between indian psychology and western psychology if i may say so in the western psychology where there is deha atma bodh the body is the self there is great emphasis on action action is given a great emphasis in terms of whether it's that's why you know people think oh there is war it is bad and, and then you continue to do the same thing in the eastern psychology the stress is on the motives it's not about the action what is the motive the motive is selfish then even if you have turned the other cheek when you see how what a great adharma it is you say that okay i will turn my other cheek to be slapped what are you doing you are allowing the forces of darkness to take complete control over is you know whole range of humanity that's why gandhi is wrong he is not in dharma he is doing a dharma when he stops the hindus from going ahead in noakhali he is doing something which is adharma why is he doing it because he has a name i am saying very openly he will make a mark in history 
see, paragon of non-violence. That's exactly what he told. That if the Hitler comes, though he wrote a letter to Hitler, I appreciate your love for country, but what you are doing, your, some of the deeds that I have come to know are very monstrous. But the advice he gave here was that if, if he comes, you let him come, don't oppose him. But don't let your soul be taken over by him. And the advice went to what extreme? If somebody is raping a woman, she should not resist. You know why? Because he will exhaust his evil tendency through this. So you are doing a favor to the man, double favor. Is it dharma? It's a gross dharma. What should be dharma? Hold the hand, resist the slayer. It's not just about you, it's about everybody. You are letting a man with a tendency of murderous instinct to just go scot-free. And you speak about forgiveness. Okay, you have... People will regard you probably as a saint because there are so many misconceptions. But you have let a man continue with massacring others. That's why it is the adharma. So dharma is to be understood only in the context of what leads an individual and the collective humanity towards evolution. Now, what about when you are slaying the slayer, holding his hand? What about you? Uh, your evolution? Well, that's where Krishna says, within you, you should not carry the bhava of ahinsa. Bhava of dhamb. Even when you are slaying, it should be an act of compassion. Love for others. Humanity. Fighting for the sake of humanity. You should do with that idea. Not, oh, he's my personal enemy, I am going to sort out. No ahinsa, no dambu. I am the slayer. Look, I am such a big warrior. None of these things should be inwardly. You should be free from all this. And then sin does not incur. So that is the whole psychology of dharma. Dharma is about inner motive. If inwardly there is hinsa and outwardly you are resisting, you are releasing forces in this creation which are very dangerous. Shivinda gives that example. A man who is boiling inside with anger but outwardly is staying, he is releasing much more dangerous forces and sometimes it's, it's compassion and mercy to stay the hand of the assassin and tell him to cry halt. It's much more, even for the other man because you are preventing him from, you know, being on a rampage. So, dharma is all about the evolutionary journey towards whatever helps. There are no standard fixed rules. It's about whatever at a given point of time helps us to individually and collectively to evolve towards a greater state. That's what is dharma. Yes. If one can understand, uh, if one can apprehend the supermental force within the mind stream, what is the necessity for waiting for evolution? Uh, supramental force is the force behind the entire process of evolution. Why there is evolution is, see, it's like a seed which is planted, it has to grow. So this is the one part. What is inconscience? It is a superconscious which has become inconscient. So always, supramental is not something uh, magically new. It is what is there in creation because of the supermind. Things eventually don't go into chaos. Let's take an example. Example is, Shubindu deals with it very beautifully in the chapter in Life Divine on the cosmic indeterminates. What makes a seed grow into a tree? Sounds very simple. 
genes. What pushes the genes to determine that the gene or a seed of a mango will grow into a mango tree? There is a compulsion in creation. So, supramental consciousness, the omniscience and omnipotence. Supermind is the omniscience and omnipotence of the divine. This is compelling creation to move in a certain direction. This direction, compulsion, all this comes when you enter into space and time. But if you go outside space and time, there is no compulsion. Then there is a direct supramental. But it's not acting on anything. It's in the supramental world as it is existing in the supramental plane, there is no compulsion. This is a spontaneous manifestation. But in time and space, there will be evolution. And wherever there is evolution, there will be something which will be left behind, something which has to move forward. That will bring in conflict, that will bring in tussle, that will bring in fight of various kinds. Because something which was valid and relevant at one point of time, when a baby talks in, you know, uh, at least uh, in Indian mothers, I'm sure probably everywhere, when a baby says, you know, give me water and says, you say, not pani, but lalula, something, you know, he says in a very babble of a child, Mama, oh, so sweet. When the same baby does it at five year old, Mama is alarmed. At eight, she takes to a psychiatrist, what's wrong with the child? So, evolution happens like that, that at first step, you evolve like a little baby. That time you are holding the hand of Papa. Papa, take me in the lap. You are taken into lap. And Mama feeds the child. But when the child grows up, you, the baby has to, the child has to leave this stage when he was being fed by the mother and carried by the papa in the lap. He has to leave. If he doesn't leave, any good mama and papa will tell the child no. No mama and papa will be happy if the child at 20 is feeding from mama's hands. It will be alarming. So evolution implies stages and steps. It is this that creates hierarchy. Hierarchy is the truth that humanity has forgotten. A kind of thought, all is good, all is same, all is equal. There is nothing more foolish than that. In a sense, all is one. In a sense. But if you try to translate it, it you know, Indian thought recognized it. There is an evo- If there is evolution, there will be hierarchy. Can we say that the child and the old man are the same? Somebody will say, what do you mean? In a sense, they are same. But in terms of manifestation, there is a difference. So in manifestation, you have, so what we call as evolution, is manifestation of the supramental, through time in time and space through forms so we use the word evolution that's an ignorant term but it okay we can you know use that word but all evolution from the divine point of view is a manifestation of the divine consciousness which through the supramental supramental is none else but the creator's consciousness through the supermind is pushing things compelling things to disclose what is hidden behind them what is hidden is the divine so that supermind is helping to disclose if there is a resistance, as inevitably there would be, because when you move from stage 1 to stage 2, stage 1 will resist. So, it takes the form of a struggle and a tussle. But through all this conflict, it is taking towards the divine disclosure. That's why Shurabindu says, speaks of Heraclitus, you know, he quotes, War which is the father of the universe. At a mini level, it's all, we all undergo conflict. It's the miniature war. So, in time and space, you will have to have Steps and stages. Outside time and place, there will be no steps and stages, direct action. Right now, the supermind cannot act directly because it's like, you know, it's almost like saying that um, now we have discovered solar energy, no? It is um, the cheapest form of energy. It's the future of energy. And yet, 
to have the solar energy we need panels sun can directly give us energy but we we don't we have to have panels which will receive it and it will correctly use it transmit it so the human system right now is not ready for the direct action of the supermind so the human system has evolved under pressure of the forces of ignorance so it has reached this point where it can perceive the supermind conceive the supermind to an extent maybe glimpse the supermind through the psychic door but the direct action of the supermind on the human system it will blow off so the human body the human mind have to prepare itself steps stages till it can directly receive the action and express it freely and openly that's why there is this process yeah if the manifestation of the supermental force can be apprehended within one's own mind stream then what is the point of waiting for a superman if we are malleable enough to evolve that is the superman so superman is not some magical if somebody can receive the supramental consciousness within and express it if there's a very big if if underline 10 times if one can do it no understood so if one can do that then that's what by definition is the superman but there is another thing after superman is the supramental being so the difference is when inwardly consciousness the inner consciousness the mind not only the mind but vital and even maybe the physical consciousness to an extent can come in contact with the supermind receive the supermind and to an extent manifest it to the extent that is possible one is a supermind the consciousness is changed is no more human i mean by definition we use this word na rakshas jaisa hai even you know to a human being we say he is like a animal he is like a pig <laughs> he is like a cow he is like a you know uh, asuric being why we say because body is of a man but the consciousness is of an animal so that's where i spoke about in indian thought so whereas you know in indian thought it was understood that the body may be human but man may be an animal like pashu like he may be like a monkey may be like a rakshasa asura deva 10 types of humanity but where we don't understand evolution we say no no all are human beings all are same because we don't understand that so if somebody can inwardly the consciousness has changed by by the um, inner consciousness becoming more and more supramental it means that one is in direct contact with truth one knows the truth sees the truth acts the truth speaks the truth feels the truth spontaneously is a law of his being there is no more a human by definition he has a human body but he is not human he is a deva manav but then there is the or a divya manav but he has to go one step further and that's where the final stage of supramental um uh, transformation of the body comes in that even when he has all this the bodily instrument is not yet ready to manifest it to perfection i may have all the wisdom inside supramental truth and suppose you have to express it you see how should been those classic example whole night from 10 o'clock till 6 he was expressing yet the body after a point of time because it yet a human body it will need some rest it's not ready but supermind doesn't take rest so ideally the supramental body the body should reach that point where it will continuously keep on expressing the divine truth so mother says something very interesting she says the body will uh, change future words not fall backwards so that's why there is death consciousness is advancing body cannot hold 
So it starts disintegrating after a point. But if the body starts undoing itself futurewards, it's undoing. But it is moving towards a better and better, higher and higher state. Then there will be no death. That's what the mother calls as the deathless state, which is different from immortality. You don't die. Why? Because not that because there won't be change, but this change is continuously following the inner movement. So becoming is following the movement of the being, the universal movement. Right now we cannot. So then the next step after superman is the supramental being, whose body also will be transmuted. to perfectly manifest that divine consciousness but if one can have this glimpse not just the glimpse but can completely the consciousness is supramentalized which means total freedom from ego complete plasticity as you rightly said total equanimity so then by definition is no more a human being one may not call him a human doesn't matter one may call him a human being <coughs> doesn't matter if one calls him a superman or not because that's see these definitions are necessary to Uh, for mental concept the superman will not call that i am a superman nor will it be visible always to the outer eye because we see appearances so it look like okay you see how shrivindo had to say cryptically he says because people would write to him in two days if the reply doesn't come then they would uh, you had a sunday why you didn't reply he says if 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 uh, you were to see the heap of correspondence on my table and the many other things that i have to do even the hard of a heart of a hard rock like disciple will melt and at one point he says very passingly that if you just see outwardly 10 to 6 years you know writing and just the outer life you will be compelled to at least understand that you know because people were throwing doubts that there is something of that divine element very with full all humility passingly he mentions but still people saw the outward human so they asked this question are shurbindo passed away so as if the entire thing that he spoke rested upon the physical transmutation physical transmutation cannot be individual because that is the law of evolution that's where the whole catch lies that's why the mother said so physical transformation will be but it will be as more and more human consciousness are transformed inwardly and the superman will find the way to change the body but it has to be at least a certain number of people that's what is called as the tipping point so there are number of monkeys striving struggling then there is a transmutation not one monkey suddenly becomes human so that's where the last stages will shubindu said i he has spoken of a few thousand years he never promised supramental physical transformation in one go he never in fact there are letters where he says that is the last crowning achievement what will be done can be done and will be done is the supramental consciousness will start manifesting upon her that's what he had promised and which he fulfilled that's why the mother said the things that were promised were fulfilled but the physical transmutation is bound to take time because it'll need a certain number of human beings so that is the next step first the superman then the supramental race or the new race okay yeah